morning, everyone. Oh, isn't it nice when it's negative 1,000 degrees out? We still get people out here to church, huh? It is so cold. My hands are cold. I'm never cold, but my bones are cold. I slept in my dad's camper last night. He didn't turn the heat on. Everything was frozen. No, I'm just teasing. But I am freezing cold. It's weird. I'm sweaty and cold at the same time. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, just thinking through some of the stuff that's been going on in our life and in my life, uh, just thinking this morning, talking about Mark Trotter, you know, a couple of verses come to mind, just thinking about him right now. It's, uh, it's going to be hard at our church back in Lambertville, Wildwood. Uh, you know, Brett Bartlett was a real uh, close friend of Mark's, and uh, I just wonder how that's going to go this morning. Uh, so I'll, I'll send a prayer up there for that for him in our church family in, in just a minute. But I think of Mark and Acts twenty twenty four. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And he truly did fight a good fight and finish his course and keep the faith. I'm I'm I was so blessed to know the little parts of Mark that I did know. And uh, he, he changed the trajectory of my life in a way that was just slight, but slight enough that, that I was able to fall in love, maybe again, but maybe for the first time with the Word of God because of him. So it's a little bittersweet. It's very sweet. He gets to see Christ on his birthday. His birthday was yesterday, so pretty cool. Uh, but let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get, right to, we'll get right to business this morning, okay? Dear God, we just thank you this morning uh, for the, the dozens of people that were able to trudge through the snow. And uh, these, are, these are hardy people in Sydney. The snow ain't, ain't keeping them from church. And I'm just so thankful that uh, they love the Word of God enough to, to, to face the frigid temps and uh, come out here and sit next to each other and just uh, have hearts and ears ready to, to hear the word of God, and I pray that uh, I would uh, be able to fill that role this morning to deliver a message to them that uh, they would realize that, listen, no matter who they are or what they've done or where, what station they are currently in their life, like God's not done with them. And I pray that you would help them to see this morning uh, that uh, there's much for them to hear, there's much for them to learn, and there's much for them to be used by God for. And uh, Lord, I just pray for the, the Trotter family as they as they sorrow through the loss of Mark, and uh, just uh, help them to remember that while they are sorrowing that he's he's lost uh, or he has left this life, uh, at heaven's rejoicing uh, to see him there, and uh, that that Mark now gets to see his Savior, and uh, what a what a bless blessing that is for him. Uh, be with Brett this morning as he preaches in Wildwood up in Toledo. Be with Jim as he preaches at Hope in in Toledo. And uh, Lord, be with us so we can hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to be in Psalm 37, to, uh, 23 this morning. And uh, you guys can go ahead and turn there. Um, but interestingly, you know, Jim had called me last week and he had asked me, he said to me, Hey, Brandon, uh, guess what? I'm going to be in Toledo on the 21st. And I was like, Oh, cool. He's going to want to hang out. I haven't got to hang out with Jim and years and years, you know, just maybe he wants to go out for lunch or something. No, that wasn't it. He, he's like, I'm going to be in Toledo, and since you live there, how about you go to Sydney and preach? And I was like, okay, a week, that's like about six days more than my pastor gives me when it's a heads-up time to preach. Um, but then I didn't realize, or I quickly realized, it was Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And uh, I am, listen... I am working on trying to be better at putting sermons together, y'all. Uh, but I had to cheat some of these. And uh, I went to Brett and said, man, you approved me to go. So you got to help me out on this, man. you got to give me some material to kind of work into one of these, uh, these messages. And uh, so though I, I did hijack some of Brett's material here uh, from, from a series that we did so, not so many months ago, I did think it was pertinent. I, I picked this one particularly because it is so relevant, I think, to, to what I've been thinking through and how I'm going to reach the world and can I be used by God and is he done with me? How do I set myself up to, to allow God to know, like, though I'm 
a disgusting sinner. I, I still want, I think I still want to be a good man. And I think God can still use me if, if he could really see my heart. And even though my, the deeds that I've done may be wicked or evil, uh, if I have a heart that really loves the Lord, can he use that? And so, knowing that uh, there's, there's much to do here at the 11th hour, we, we, have, we have got to redeem some time. The days are evil. We are, we're in the last age. I think we're in the last hours. We're, we're up against it. And so we've got to get to work. And so uh, the message I'm going to bring this morning is from a series that we did of the steps of a good man. This is more of an introduction to that series. And uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to go through this, and hopefully you guys have your ears on this morning. Hopefully the, the teens... You guys sit right up front, man. This is You, you can't fall asleep. Everybody knows it. Uh, hopefully the teens can hear this. David's got some stuff to say. So let's go ahead and just read this passage, and we'll, we'll get right into the message here. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And so David is writing these lyrics in the latter part of his life. Uh, see for reference the, the, the end of verse 25 there. And he has seen some things, but yet in res- retrospective, he is taken back by what he has not seen as well. Uh, this is a man that has walked with the Lord for a long time. A man who has gained the description in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and Acts 13, 22, as a man after God's own heart. We know this of David. And now knowing all this, though, David feels like he has some things to say. Or that he has earned the right, at least, to be heard. Wouldn't you agree? He's been a boy. A boy that nobody saw coming. One who spent his early days surrounded by sheep and singing and harps and scrolls. His job was to watch over these sheep. And he spent those days practicing his weapon and strumming and singing with instruments and uh, writing praise songs in the night. And while while doing this, all while falling in love with not just God himself, but he fell in love with the Word of God. He fell in love with the law of God. You know the law, that boring part of your Bible. The ones that we just kind of skip over and like, oh my, this one's kind of, bleh. I can't understand it. It doesn't even apply to me anymore. Why do I even have to read it? Or if you're Andy Stanley, you, you can say you can just unhitch yourself from all that. We don't even need the Old Testament anymore, right? That's the stuff that David fell in love with. And ha- having had no idea, though, that in such a low station in life as a shepherd... God had provided him everything he needed to be able to rule God's kingdom on earth. What a beautiful picture of God preparing a young man to rule his kingdom when he had no idea that such a promotion was in his future. And it it did not detract one ounce of his dedication and his love that he had for God. And he penned words like this in Psalm 8. And by the way, I'm going to try to, every time I do a a verse, I'm going to, move to my Bible and actually open it up so that you have time to turn there too. Because at our church, they just throw them up on the screen and everybody can follow right along. But y'all are old school and I like that. So get your ancient words out. All right, let's turn to Psalm 8. By the way, I really love that song. We go up to a man's camp. Our, our, our company um, allows everybody at our business if they're, if they're a man. Okay, unfortunately for the women, they get to do something else. But the guys go up into the upper parts of Michigan for a camp, and we sing that song, all these guys singing that ancient word song, and we sing it a cappella. And, I mean, we got some good voices, fellas. And when it's just us and the ladies are gone, it's even better. So, just saying. Uh, I'm getting myself in trouble, I know it. <laughs> all right. Psalm 8. David penned words like this. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. 
When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou, that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and had crowned him with the glory and honor. Thou madest, madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, our Lord how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thank you. Uh, that's good stuff. What a thing for a young man to write, right? Fellas, in the front row, you guys writing stuff like that? I can't even write a sermon that even comes close to that. And as he passes the hours in his boring job, writing words like these in Psalm 19, let's turn there. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament sheweth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night sheweth knowledge. Where did he get that idea? The idea that God is all around him, giving him spiritual truth day unto day and night unto night. Where did he get the idea that that was happening? While plugging away at his daily grind under the stars, out in in my dad's camper, getting cold. It continues, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Man, David, you're writing some good stuff here. I'm sure glad, though, that no Calvinist got a hold of him and told him he couldn't trust a copy of a copy of a copy, right? Because men make errors, and we can't trust those words. I'm sure glad that David thought that while he was reading the absolute perfect word of God, aren't you glad that he, that he thought it was perfect and that he had the actual words? I wonder if God could have used David the way he did if he didn't think that he had a perfect word in which to fall in love with. How could he have been called a man after God's own heart, after all, if he couldn't trust that he had the words that God wanted him to have anyway? It would have been a real travesty if David would have sought the counsel of some of our Calvinist Bible-correcting friends, teachers, co-workers, family members wouldn't it? Psalm 19. Did I not finish Psalm 19? Let's continue. I got to figure out what verse I'm in now. Testimony. What, What verse? Seven. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And And in the keeping of them... There is great reward. Keeping of what? The words. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me, cleanse thou me from the, from secret faults. Keep back thine servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And again, man, what what a What a thing for a young man to write on his own without any supervision. And this wasn't a paper that he present that that he wrote for for his class, guys. This wasn't this wasn't a, a poem he wrote to a girl. 
But no one was watching. This is how he occupied, a time, occupied his time. This is how he occupied his walk. And this is how he occupied his heart. I think somebody that lived his youth like that has something to say when he gets old, don't you? Here's a man who, who, that has been promoted when he didn't see promotion coming. He was envied by other people because God gave him talent and ability and a desirable physique. God gave him an ability to deal with lions with his bare hands and to play beautiful music with those same hands. And people were jealous of these God-given abilities to the point that he was hunted down. He was hunted down to the point that, that he had to hide in a cave and just trust in God for his life. And you know what he was doing in those caves? Well, he wasn't, he wasn't throwing a pity party. He wasn't woe is me his days away. You know what he was doing? He was doing the same things that he was doing in the fields. He was playing his harp and he was looking for predators and he was wondering at God and singing praises to the creator of the universe. And eventually he finds himself on the throne and he finds himself living a life of military victory after military victory after military victory. And yet, this is a man who, who has fallen greatly. A man who sinned atrociously. He was humiliated and judged and he repented and he was restored. He was young and he is now old. And he said, I've lived, in, I've lived an amazingly full life and I've got something to say. And he has seen it all. Amazing victory and agonizing defeat. And that's why this message can be for every, every one of us today. Every one of you can hear something from this today. If you're saved, that's the qualifier. If you're saved. If you're not saved, or if you're not trusting in Christ for your only salvation, in only Christ for your salvation, I'm glad you're here and I want you to know that you can know for sure that by grace, through faith alone, you can be saved at a time and a place and that God died for the sins of the world and whosoever will may come. And that includes you, friend regardless of how bad you think you are, or regardless of what some other religious, pious do-gooder in this community might say about you. His atonement is not limited to some special group of people. And he thinks you're special, and that's for sure. But, if you are saved, then listen close. There's not one person here this morning who, who is at the place in their walk with God in this very moment that David wasn't experiencing at some time in his life. If you are new to the Christian walk, you might, you might not know that being a Christian doesn't mean that your old life has been, has been magically replaced with you know, a new difficulty-free storybook life. All right? you, you're a new Christian. You think, man, everything's going to be roses. But you might just think that every day is, will be easier and more joyful and, and, and as God blesses and you become more and more sanctified for Christ. You might think that might be you. You might be that new Christian that's just on fire for the Lord. And if that is you, then hear this. David got, David's got something to say to you this morning. And then you might say, well, I've been around the block for a while, and I've had, I've had some giants in my life. You may have been plugging away at the Christian life for years now, purposely choosing what God wants you to do, and for no other reason than the knowledge that it's what God wants you to do. And you're just doing the best you can trying to figure this thing out. Can I tell you, David's got something to say to you today also. David was at that stage in his life at one point. And well, you don't understand. I'm, I might be saved, but I've done some horrible things in my life. By the way, guilty. I think this is where I'm at, or I have been here. Well, that might be true. I know as well as you do that being saved doesn't stop the struggle to mortify the flesh and to kill the old man, right? The battle to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh is a daily one, right? I mean, if a guy like Paul can say that the things that he doesn't want to do, he keeps finding himself doing, then we surely can be honest enough to admit that we too struggle with walking a holy in the spirit as a whole, in a holy life, can't we not? You might have messed up, and you might have really messed up, and fallen to the point that you question, how can a man 
who calls himself a Christian even wake up in the morning and face the world? That might be you. Can I tell you, David has a surprising amount to say to you this morning. It's not that you're done. It's not that you're a chump. It's not, if you will be humble, you can be restored. Because David found himself in the exact same situation. And a lot of people in David's life would have said, that David, that David he probably wasn't even saved. You know, that David that was promised the sure mercies of God. But you might think that, that adultery and lying and murder are proof enough that David was unredeemable by God due to the wicked things he did. And here he is, though, in the Bible, a man after God's own heart. So the story, the Bible talks about a whole kingdom that is scared. A whole military is held up on some hill due to this giant that's cussing and swearing and belittling the God of their people openly. He's looking around at the other believers wondering, why are they all just standing around? Why isn't anybody doing anything? You ever felt like that? Giants in your life just tearing down everything around you. And you look around at the people that are supposed to be fighting with you. You're like, why are they just standing around? Nobody's doing anything. They're only concerned with themselves. Maybe you're experiencing those giants in your life. Maybe you're facing overwhelming temptation. Maybe you've been found out in a lie or doing some terrible sin. Maybe you're seeking repentance or or for wronging someone or for wronging God. Maybe you were once young, and now you're old. Well, it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what you've done, or, what you're, or where you're at in your spiritual walk, or in a spiritual battle. None of that matters. David has got something to say this morning to all of us. So whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're saved, and you still have a longing to be a better man, or to be a good man, the question is, are you interested? Are you even interested? Are you just okay with slinking through life? Are you like, you know, there's something in me that wants to be better. There's something in, there's a good man. There's, a, there's this new man inside that's fighting to get out. Are you interested? So God's calling out to some people today. And do you know who those people are? Let's go ahead and turn to Mark 2, 15. And see who, who is Jesus actually calling out to. Mark 2, 15. <clears throat> and it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So is that who you are? Are you, are you the righteous? Do you think that you're doing okay in this righteous department? I got to figure it out. I'm doing all right. I consider myself, you know, 70% righteous. Or are you the one that Jesus is actually looking for? The sinner. Because that's who he's calling for. Now you may th- think that Jesus was this hard guy that w- would preach hard and, um, you know, he, he was passionate. You know, he didn't have time for these lowly people. He was always busting people's chops. And he wasn't no Anley Stanley type. I mean, he drove people out of the temple with passion, right? He was way more Baptist-like and had standards, right? That's who we think Jesus was. Man, he was a Baptist for sure. Well, Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. That's who he hung out with. 
the ones that he was hard on, the ones that he preached hard to, the ones that he was passionate about correcting. You know who they were? They were the religious, moral, righteous leaders of the day, if I remember right. And those are the ones that he called the two and threefold children of hell. It was the publicans and sinners that he sat with and taught with and loved on and restored and discipled and used. So just because you may have sinned and lost your way in your, in your Christian walk, don't you dare think that God is done with you, brother and sister. In fact, I believe uh, the God of the Bible states in Mark 2 that we just read uh, that he is calling out to exactly you. John 10, 28. Take a look at that. And I give unto them eternal life, that they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. God ain't done with you. You can't let men in, in circumstance pluck you out of God's hand, because he said that can't happen. Let's go over to Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Well, how can I know that God can use me and that, that God's not done with me? Well, here's the test. If you get a mirror and you bring it up to your face for like five seconds and there's a little steam and mist and fog on the mirror, God's not done with you. I remember Connor Bartlett, Pastor Brett's son, with cancer in the hospital. Really thin and really bad shape. And inches and just sometimes minutes and seconds away from death. But he was still breathing. And when people came into that room, they got the gospel from him. I know another guy, Lyle Fortney, who died of pancreatic cancer not so many years ago. And he was the same way. His last days were spent evangelizing the nurses and doctors and the people that were walking around. God's not done with you. <clears throat> I think we fundamental Christians forget that almost as soon as we learn it. We forget that God's not done with us. And if you'll believe that, and you'll accept that, David wants you to know that if you're saved and you want to be a good man, that there's a planned path for your life then. Now, I do know that there are some scriptures that state that, that man is not good. And some of you more studious Bible scholars here might be thinking to yourselves or whispering to your neighbor's ear, well, you know, you know, God did say, you know, why callest thou me good? There is none good but God. So how could we want to be a good man? Well, since that portion of scripture uh, is true, uh, it must cancel out Psalm 37 though, right? Now, in our original text, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And I know that you Grace Baptist disciples of Christ are well aware that two passages of Scripture do not cancel each other out. So let's take a quick look at a couple of those passages to get some context. Romans 3.10. <clears throat> Romans 3, 10, 11. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. So if none are righteous and not even one, 
nobody understands, nobody seeks after God, how can anyone be a good man? Well, what's the, con- what's the context of this passage? The context is those that are righteous in providing for their own salvation. You don't have the ability to provide for your own salvation, amen? You have zero ability to do that. You have no ability to provide salvation, but you do have an ability to procure it. And some Christians, some pastors even. Actually, I could have put most Laodicean pastors, honestly. Will come along and ignore the context in order to teach that you are so depraved that not only can't you provide for your salvation, but you can't even procure it if you wanted to. But you only come to that conclusion if you mangle and wrest the Scripture out of its context and bend it to say that heresy. Those subtle moves, those subtle little directional shifts. If I remember right, there's there's someone in the Bible who was subtle in the way that he talked to Eve. So look what a subtle move can do to all of mankind. Ensure you're, you're as helpless as a dead man running a race to provide for your salvation because you aren't righteous to provide it in the first place. But listen, Cornelius was a dead man in trespasses and sins. And when he was seeking for his own eternal life and immortality, as a dead man in trespasses and sin, his prayers to God and giving alms to the poor was a memorial in heaven before God. And that was before he got saved as a dead man in trespasses and sins. So dead man can give praise to God and can give alms to the poor. And in doing so, this dead man can earn his right to procure salvation. And so it's interesting how the word of God can shed some light on some incorrect theology, right? And so we we go back then to uh, Mark chapter 10 here and look at another Another passage about being a good man. Wait, Mark's in the New Testament, right? Gee, where am I? Mark chapter 10. Mark ten seventeen. <clears throat> and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And it's actually interesting what Jesus says here. He didn't, help, he didn't tell him to look forward to the cross. Right? You know what he told him to do? He told him to keep the law. That's not, that's not how we get saved today, but that's, that's what he told this guy. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. So here we go. There's only one good, and it's God. So how can I be a good man? According to our our main passage this morning, steps of a good man are... hmm. But Jesus wasn't denying that he was God. He was challenging the man. If Jesus thinks he was... Or if, if, if he thinks that Jesus was good, Jesus was asking him a true question. Good? Don't you know that there are no good but God? This is like hint, hint, hint. He's like, don't you know nobody's good but God? Are you looking at... Do you understand who I am? But what's the context here? Going to a man for salvation and kneeling to worship him. Again, it said there was, there was gone forth into the way and there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do to inherit good, eternal life? So the context, is, the context is someone going to a man for salvation, kneeling and worshiping him. Now who is so good that they deserve the mediation of your salvation in relationship with God. I don't have any of those type of men in my life. Nobody. And that's the context, that none are good but God. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Second <clears throat> Corinthians 5, 17, Let's us know how this is even possible that we could be good. 
It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, well, there's your good man. Remember, God is good. Christ, there's, there's the good man, Jesus. And you can get inside of that good man by salvation. When the man gets inside of you, and we become a new man, not in the flesh where there dwells no good thing, but the new man can be baptized in the Spirit of God, inside of your body. And that's the operation of God. That's the circumcision made without hands. It's the one true baptism. And if you can be in that good man, the rest of the verse, if there be, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Your flesh isn't in Christ. It's right here. Sitting in this building right today. But your soul and your spirit are in Christ when you're saved. And you're a new creature. And old things can be passed away. And that is true in Christ. There is a good man inside of you if you are saved. And that's the good man that wants to get out and wants to be better. And and that's how you can be a good man. In 2 Corinthians, we can turn over to verse uh, uh, 21 in chapter 5. At the end of the chapter there. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made, what? The righteousness of God in him. So that's what's happened. That's what, that's what happens when you get saved. You become the righteousness of God. Do you think that someone who has become the righteousness of God qualifies Someone as being a good man? What do you think? I think so. The righteousness of God, how can you get better than that? And what we see here is a principle that I know that is taught in this church by your pastor, a principle uh, that I learned from Pastor Mark Trotter going through his Keys of Bible study, and, and Brett Bartlett in Men's Bible Study had taught these principles also. It's the principle of comparing Scripture with Scripture to define the Bible. And you can see that reference in 1 Corinthians 2.13 if you want to write that one down uh, on why, we're, why do we compare Scripture with Scripture. I think um, that some of you may have heard, or all of you probably have heard Pastor Jim say it, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Right? That's what he says here. <clears throat> and you know, now do you know how the Bible defines a good man in the New Testament then? And so look with me in Acts 11.24. And I was told you guys like hopping around on Scripture, so you're welcome. 11.24. For he was a good man. Okay, this is speaking of Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Now, brothers and sisters... If you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you want to live by faith and you desire to be a good man, make no mistake about it, God has a planned path for you. But that doesn't mean that since God has a planned path for you that you have to take it. You have to desire to be that good man and you have to desire to take that path. And in Psalm chapter 37, our original passage here today, David is a good man and filled with the Holy Ghost and is inspired of God to write these lyrics. And he wants you to be the same, to lead you down a a planned path to an expected end. And this entire chapter, chapter 37, Psalm 37, serves as a character profile for the good man that God is extending his grace to in in revealing this path to him. In Psalm 37, 3, it talks about uh, what... What does a good man do? He trusts in the Lord. In Psalm 37, 5, what a good man commits his way unto the Lord. These are the things you, you do if you're a good man. Psalm 37, 7, a good man rests in the Lord. 37, 8, he ceases from anger and forsakes wrath. A man who is under the control of the Spirit is a man who is under control, Right? This morning in Sunday school class, we read a, a missionary letter where there's this, this crazy guy that he's angry and violent, and he keeps showing up at the church. And, and uh, where was this at? 
Papua New Guinea. But a man who is controlled of the Spirit is a man who's under control. Are you a good man? Do the people at church here think you're a good man? When they're talking about who you are to someone? Do the people that you live with in your home think you're a good man? Or that you're a madman? Psalm 37.11 says, A good man is meek. And it's because of this, because of, because of this, look at verse 23, God has a planned path for your days and for his days. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus Christ is that way. He is the path. And as we walk with him, get this, we don't have to wonder if you're on the right path. Since he is the path. He is the way. And though Confucius may have been right when he wrote those little notes in the fortune cookies uh, that we all may get afterwards when we go to the buffet, uh, a life is a thousand-mile journey which, which starts with one step. That might be true. But that, that thousand-mile journey of life is made up of a couple million other steps along the way. And at the judgment seat of Christ, each and every one of those steps that we Christians make, after Christ takes up residence in our bodies, will be weighed and measured. And that's something to think about. So since each step will be judged, we need to consider each step then, don't we? Have you considered your steps? Are they the steps of a good man? Job 31 says, Doth, or, Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? They're being counted. Brother and sister, you're saved and you're living in the flesh until you die. You're going to give an account for what happened in that body at the judgment seat. So you got two million steps so you get to the judgment seat. You better make sure that those are steps of a good man. Let's look at Psalm 56. We're going to go to a couple different psalms here. Psalm 56. And I actually might be able to wrap this up a little early today. I think I told Andy I might be up here long. Okay, well, I, I'll see what I can do. Psalm 56. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He, fighting daily, oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they, for they may be that fight against me. O thou most high, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. You see that? Are you counting your steps? Are you, are you checking out your steps? Because your enemies are checking your steps out. They're marking your steps, and they're waiting for your soul. They're waiting to see you screw up. They're waiting for you to fall so they can point at, look what Christianity is. It's a bunch of hypocrites. And they can mock God through your life. Psalm 73, verse 2. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. You guys know what the Bible says about a wicked, that, that a wicked man will mark the house of evil during the day while he is praising. And at night he'll wake up and then he'll sneak into that house. And he'll sneak back out and he'll return home saying, I have done no evil thing. All while praising. And they're, they're marking you. Not just the enemies of God. Other Christians, other people, while praising, are counting what you're doing. They're looking at your life. They're seeing what's going on, and they're marking that to see how they can undo it. I hope that's not us. And Solomon, David's son, 
has a son. And Solomon wants to give him some advice. So here's what he says in Psalm. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Move over to Proverbs 5. Next book to the right. We're not too far away. Proverbs chapter 5. My son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding. That thou mayest regard direction and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life her ways are movable and thou canst not know them hear me now therefore O ye children and depart not from the words of my mouth remove the way far from her and come not not nigh to the door of her house lest thou give thine honor unto others and in thy years unto the cruel lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of a stranger, and, and thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy blood, our body, are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thine fountains be dispersed abroad in rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be thine own, uh, uh, only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a, a loving hind, a pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be ravished uh, always, with her love, always with her love. And, wilt, and why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? Here it is. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. God pondered your goings. He counts your steps. He marks your ways. And so you better figure out. You better figure it out when you're young, son, is what he's saying. Because you're going to make the mistake that most Christians make. They're going to put off the path of righteousness until they get to the very end of their life. And then they're going to realize that that their gathering hours under the sun have gone. They rejoiced in their youth and in their folly. And they didn't acknowledge their creator. They kept saying, tomorrow I'll get right. Tomorrow I'll stop doing that habit. Tomorrow I'll attend into my eyes and to my feet. And every day that came was another tomorrow and tomorrow. And they wasted their life. And so David writes in Psalm 119, 133, Order my steps in thy word. And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Brothers and sisters, I hope we can hear it today. That if you are saved, that if you still desire to be a good man, if you can still fog up a mirror, you need to consider the prepared path that God has for you. You know, when Jesus preached, he never talked about, he never talked about the big things. He never talked about going to college, where you're going to go to college. Never talked about who you're going to marry. Never talked about buying houses and your, your, you know, your banking account, how it's like, how the ledgers work and all that. And he never talked about, you know, you buying a car, like that big decision. He didn't talk about that stuff. Where you're going to vacation. Any of those big decisions. All he preached about was people taking small steps. Not the big things. He said, you know, he preached about clothes. He said, consider the lilies. Even Solomon, in all his splendor, was, splendor, wasn't clothed like one of those lilies. Don't you think I can put clothes on your back? He said, don't worry about those. And when he preached about homes, he said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man have no place to lay his head. Don't worry about that. 
He, he preached about food. Consider the fowls. They don't sow or reap, but they have. But I have found a way to feed them. And so, listen. The big decisions in our life. Although we have to, we have to concern ourselves with some of these big decisions. We can't let them consume us. They didn't concern Christ. The Bible says, after all these things, the Gentiles seek. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. By taking the word, because the word is a lamp under your feet and a light unto your path, and you make sure to take it as you're stepping along to illuminate your path. And all the big decisions will take care of themselves. Because it's all about the little steps along the path. God has great thoughts that he thinks towards you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. But that end is the end of a path, a path that God has provided for sinners like us who have been saved, who have been exalted, who have fallen but, but still believe deep down that somewhere, somehow, some way, there is a good man inside of them that's trying to get out. And are you that good man? Because God, he is, he is that God. Amen? And so to wrap it up, I just think of Mark Trotter and the way that he, he desired to, to not teach people how to understand the Bible so that they could have knowledge. Uh, to not, I mean, he was a preacher for, for many years before he uh, was this hybrid missionary pastor type who honestly was a pastor of pastors in the last several years of his life. There's a lot of godly men that look to Mark Trotter for counsel, that had taught flocks, that had, that had churches. And Mark Trotter's real desire was that people would fall in love with the Word of God so that every one of their steps could be ordered by God and that they could desire to be a good man and make something in their life and change the world around them by bringing the gospel to them. So, let's go ahead and pray. Everyone bow their head. Dear God, um, I know there's all sorts of people here this morning. Um, I know in a church like this that, that preaches the word hard and concentrates on doctrine and uh, helping, helping the, the individuals to learn how to, how to study the Bible on their own, Lord. These, a lot of these are seasoned Christians, Lord mature Christians. There may be some immature, younger Christians. There may be some even here today that that don't even know you as Savior. And though a message like this was designed for those who are saved to really take inventory of their life, Lord, there may be some here today that that are like, wow, you know, I didn't know God cared about every little step I make in my life. I don't even know who this God is. I just want to tell you guys here this morning, if, if that's you and you don't know the creator of the universe, the God who came down as a man and died for your sin on the cross, that you could know that today. You could know him and you could put your trust in him and his death, burial, and resurrection to save you.